Today on the Marshall Pro Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com, we have a catching up with conversation, our short form interview show with the rather amazing Laura Wontrop Clauser. She has a brand new job title that, gotta admit, uh, it looks mighty fine in print on a business card, you name it. General Motors Sports Car Racing Program Manager. She comes to that role with a fine promotion after overseeing Cadillac Racing's sports car projects. Both great success in the Pirelli World Challenge Series, former effort, more recently since 2017, Cadillac's IMSA DPI program, champions in their first year. Boy, they've won just about everything you can win at every other IMSA race since then. So Laura's overseeing everything now, including Corvette racing. This isn't so much a pure racing episode. It's getting to know her. She is someone who I expect to continue to do big things. It's just great to see her really, really good work recognized by General Motors and elevated. So going to learn about her, where she comes from, her people. She's a racer as well, loves climbing in on the competition side. Education is huge. So many things about Laura and her rapid rise in the sport to one of, gotta say, most powerful, most coveted positions anyone would want. I expect that she will indeed be someone who continues to make very big impact in what we do. So let's get going here. Catching up with Laura Wontrop Clauser. Man, really enjoyed the time we spent together here. All brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Why don't we just start off, Laura, talking about where you come from, not just geographically, but the environment that you were raised in in Maryland and whether we're talking about a racing mad household and you were predestined for something employment-wise, career-wise in the automotive sector, now the racing sector, or, or what indeed uh, your household was like growing up in. It's funny. Racing and uh, automotive in general were not typical careers for the family that I came from. I come from blue collar world. My father's an electrician. Grandfather was a steam fitter. Uh, and then my other grandfather was in the Navy during World War II wow. and came and did uh, taught. Um, he did all sorts of things. He owned a gas station. He taught at a, a Votex school for a while. Um, so, you know, I feel like. I'm very blessed to have grown up in a very grounded household, hardworking people, people that know what it takes to put in a full day of work, uh, you know, across all the different disciplines. And then thankfully strong women as well. My grandmother um, ran the small little farm that she and my grandfather had, and she was a city slicker. They both grew up in Baltimore together. Yeah. And then they bought some um, some land out in, in Long Green Valley, and she quickly went from, you know, b being around Baltimore City to learning how to chop chickens' heads off and pluck them for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so she was pretty awesome. And then my mother grew up in that household, so she was um, she's definitely tough. Just takes the bull by the horns with anything. And and then you know, my dad's the one, the electrician and the steam fo uh, steam fitter father. And so it, it, it 
to me, it was kind of a good way to keep you balanced. The, the expectation is that you work hard, you respect other people, and then you love your family and, and the people that you know, get you where you need to go. And, and I think that that's helped me in many assets of life, but especially in racing, because I think those fundamentals are key for the racing community as well. It sounds like that blue collar, my hands will get dirty either in the earth or making and forming something, it sounds like that was infused almost from the beginning for you, Laura. Did that manifest itself in either hobbies as a young girl or as, as you were growing up? I'm curious because it's rare to grow up in a family like that and be the proverbial couch potato. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad, uh, went after he would get home from you know, eight hours plus whatever overtime he was able to snag. He was always building something, typically the house we were living in. In fact, when I was seven, they bought a hundred year old farmhouse on 33 acres wow. and it had the house, the barns. And unfortunately the family that lived there before had kind of let it go. So right from day one, we were working on fixing up the house and then turning it into what he and, and mom wanted as their, you know, place to live. They, they're still there. So I learned how to pick up a hammer and nail a nail and work with, um, you know, power tools and all of that. And I was really dad's right-hand person because I'm the oldest. And, you know, I was the one that was able, when mom was dealing with the younger kids, that I would be able to help him move things around or hold something or, you know, go fetch whatever he needed. Uh, it's a great way to learn different tools when you get told, go find me, you know, X. <laughs> You're like, okay, that's what a screwdriver is. All right, I got it. <laughs> so, a a but, nine uh, millimeter what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know of which you speak. I was the kid who felt so dumb rooting around my dad's toolbox trying to find things at least at that age that I didn't really fully understand. But uh, yeah, you learn quickly when you have to. Exactly. So, you know, between that and then we, we didn't, it's funny, we didn't do too much with cars around the house. Um, we had them obviously. And my dad bought a big John Deere tractor for dealing with the property, but he, he didn't, he tried to buy things that wouldn't break on him. So he didn't need to work on them because he was always busy working on something else. <laughs> so tell me if you could, Laura, about school and athletic achievement, educational achievement, competition. Curious if any or all of those uh, intersected as you're growing up in junior high, high school, and whatnot. Definitely academic. Um, both my mom and dad were into sports. My dad played football through college, and mom was a lacrosse player and uh, field hockey and basketball. She kind of did everything. And I, I think I always laugh. I feel like I think at one point I was the biggest disappointment because I just wasn't motivated enough to chase a rubber ball down a field. <laughs> but when it came to school, you know, it was, I had to be the best hands down. I had to, to bring home the high marks. I had to, you know, be the one that had the best answer in class. You know, it was, that's where I guess my competitive streak really came out was doing that kind of stuff. And then, doing everything from working and revitalizing the high school paper, uh, newspaper, where I got to learn a little bit about how to write and all of that, all the way through, um, you know, at that point, computers were rolling out where we were, they were just starting to integrate them into our studies. We were probably a little bit behind. I went through um, Catholic schooling from 
age or grade three all the way through the end of high school and, and learning the computer lab with the uh, teacher that did that and getting involved in all that stuff. That was pretty cool to me. So I spent my after school activities doing that kind of stuff uh, after I tried lacrosse freshman year and yeah, it didn't pan out. So I, I did better with uh, the stuff inside the building and, and leading and learning all of those skills. Fair enough. So the skills that would serve you career-wise, definitely area that seems to be something you have really taken to pursuing mechanical engineering education, then engineering on top of that. How did you move in that direction choice-wise coming out of high school? Because it certainly became something that you went uh, full steam ahead into afterwards. It was two things. One, I loved cars. And despite the fact that it wasn't really, you know, a big deal for my dad or, or those, it just something about them captured my attention, the freedom that came with having a license. And when you live out in the farmland, if you don't have a license, it's not like I could walk down the street to a 7-Eleven or something. You know, you had to get in the car to go places. So I think a lot of that, it just enticed me. And I decided that I really wanted to do something with cars. I wanted to, you know, either be a mechanic or or something along those lines. And my dad, you know, very blue collar, his thing was education, education, education. So he said, you can do what you want, but you have got to go to college. So you got to figure out, you know, what you want to do there. And then what happened is in high school, I clicked with my algebra teacher and she took me under her wing and she's the one who said, you know, you should really think about engineering. You're pretty good at math. And then the fact that I was kind of thinking like a mechanic situation, I'm like, oh, yeah, that might work out. Instead of <laughs> working on the cars, maybe I could design them. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> so that's really what landed me there. And then getting into college, uh, I joined the Formula SAE program at RPI. And I mean, you're building a race car. I could not have found something that I was more in love with. Just being able to take everything we were learning in the classroom, applying it, seeing reality. Cause I'm one of those people that those silly word paragraphs that they'll give you in math class that, you know, it's like, okay, they're trying to create something real, but it's still just something on a piece of paper. But if you're handed two tubes and you need to figure out how to make them intersect in a way that fits into the chassis of a car. Okay. I can see that. I get that. So <laughs> it was better for me to be more hands-on. <laughs> that is so awesome. And what I appreciate in particular, Laura is the cool you have gone and achieved and earned your bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, I guess I, I have the same appreciation for my wife who has three degrees. She said, cool, that's awesome. I want more. I want to learn more. I want to know more. <laughs> and then you're off pursuing a master's degree in engineering uh, at the University of Michigan. You're in the right state for someone who loves cars, someone who's gotten her hands you know, all the way into this Formula SAE program, are you there attending university, pursuing that master's and starting to try and make connections with the various auto manufacturers in the state? How does that link start to happen for you? So how it worked is uh, when I was in getting my bachelor's, uh, GM was sponsoring our Formula SAE team at the time. And one of the cool things that came with that was anybody who was on the team, if you wanted to go do a summer internship with General Motors, they basically just signed you up. 
it was it was kind of a guarantee because they they figured that you were proving your capability by being a part of this great project and that they would give you a try over the summer and see hey how do, how does that person fit in with the corporate culture and everything so i did two summers with gm uh, while I was going to get my bachelor's. And then actually I graduated and started full time. I took on the master's while I was at GM through a program that they have with the University of Michigan. I, I never actually set foot on Michigan's campus for that. I've been there for other things, but um, we were, it was a lot of uh, uh, after work learning, which was uh, helpful. And it, it was basically, we'd work all day long and then we would come and have dinner and then Put up the lecture that we were going to watch that evening listen to whatever the teacher had to say and, and fit homework in when we could <laughs> wow so this is where i guess from a starting to integrate what you've learned the passions that you've you've definitely developed in the automotive world and racing world this is where these things start to merge i think laura in a pretty amazing way where you're joining in and getting to have direct involvement in a couple of different platforms within GM. Let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, if we're saying, what do I want to do? Where should I start? Not a lot of folks are going to say, well, I want the smallest, slowest model made by the company I work for. No, indeed, you get to aim for the top. Uh, tell me about, you know, getting getting involved here with, some Corvette C7 stuff, because that sure seems like what, what a gift uh, if we're beginning at General Motors. That was just, it was a blessing. And it, part of it was right place, right time. But I think a lot of it was the background coming off of Formula SAE that when I joined GM in 2008 for my very first full-time job, it was right when we were starting our first go at C7 and it, the timing just could not have been better. They they looked at me. They said, well, we need somebody to be supporting this program in the role that you have. You looks like you like cars and you're into to race stuff. You'd be perfect for Corvette. And I said, yes, thank you. I am in. You know, no problems here. And it actually, it was bankruptcy hit GM right after I started. So that was an experience in itself going through all of that. And they did have to put that program on hold for a little bit because bankruptcy put a lot of things on hold. So while I was waiting for the program to come back, I worked on the Cadillac XTS, um, which was kind of an interesting juxtaposition because it's very different from what you would think on a Corvette. And understanding that customer and what they would be looking for in a car like that was good to get a little bit more well-rounded. Because obviously we build more than Corvettes at GM and trucks. I know everyone knows us for our trucks and our fast cars. We got plenty of other things out there as well. And understanding how different people want different things is important to help you look at everything from different perspectives. But it was nice to get back to Corvette once we got through bankruptcy and work on the C7. Meeting that program team was a highlight of my career, still is. I'm very close with most of them. In fact, uh, one of the ladies who was on the Corvette team, she's um, retired from GM now, Barb Armbruster. She took me under her wing as you know a, a veteran GM person and helped me walk through the different things on the production side and, and career guidance and all of that. She was one of the first people that I called when I found out that I got the sports car racing job and I got to go back to Corvette. It was just so neat to to meet all those people. Taj Juchter is a friend of mine who's helped me through all my career as well. 
And that network alone has been worth its weight in gold. <laughs> He's a nut, but the best kind of nut. So I don't want to fast forward through all the things that you did uh, in the early uh, teens uh, at GM, but we do get to a point where this racing background of yours, Formula SAE, the Corvette integration, GM and the Cadillac brand uh, in particular and its World Challenge involvement with that factory effort, there's some pretty cool doors that are about to be opened for you. question I had is you take on the first racing program manager role as a former non-degreed but not too bad at sometimes uh, race car engineer and such. I know that managerial skills are not always a forte of those involved in engineering. You, on the other hand, appear to have an aptitude for it right away. Is this something that you had picked up throughout the year somewhere? Is there formal education on the managerial side or is this just an innate skill you have? Because I don't know if you saw, but Y'all didn't do too bad in World Challenge <laughs> with those amazing Cadillacs. I, you know, I think, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think inherently being the oldest child, you're naturally a leader because you've got two, for in my case, two younger siblings to boss around. So you kind of pick up some things there. But I was really engaged as a, a student from elementary school all the way up. There was always some extracurricular that I had my hands in. And when I was... Um, in elementary school, it was 4-H, uh, which was growing up in farmland country. That was what most people got involved in. And I was the section leader for our little 4-H club at one point. That's I think so that awesome. Been, yeah, I think that would have been middle school years for that. So, you know, got an appreciation for that, went on, led the, the high school newspaper team. And then in college, you had Formula SAE. So I was team leader for that junior year. But I stayed on with SAE after I graduated as a volunteer. And the best thing about volunteering is you can do as little or as, as much work as you want because they're just happy to have your time. And I managed to end up leading the group that does all of the dynamic events at the Michigan competition. And that is probably where I learned the most because similar to racing in, in the professional side, you have a lot of very passionate people that are helping with this formula competition, their hearts are all in the right places, but they all have different ideas on how we're going to get there. So it's a lot of managing chaos and it's a lot of managing different groups that disagree on the regular and, and kind of working through all that. And as a volunteer, when you screw up, they get, you know, they're not happy with it, but they're not going to fire you. Right? They can't. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a good uh, proving ground for me to learn. And the, the, with all the people involved, I had a lot of people to learn from and to work with. And that I think helped out a lot. And then of course at work, you get different projects that you're in charge of and stuff. You, you pick up a lot there, but really it's the extracurriculars where the leadership skills have come in. The engineering skills were all developed through school and through work. <laughs> and so what do you find there that is either new or different or the same from what you'd been doing on the production side. Again, I know we're talking about competition. There's obviously many differences, but if you're part of a team that is developing and improving production vehicles, I would have to assume there'd be a lot of commonalities with developing and improving and winning 
with competition vehicles, would also assume there might be some very different things that you're having to pick up in this racing program manager role. Yes. The biggest difference between production and racing is the speed at which you do things. Racing, the green flag has a date and a time, and it doesn't change. So you're either ready or you're not. On the production side, we have deadlines, and we don't like to change them, and we try our hardest not to. But at the end of the day, if you need to move it a month to make sure that you you know have a problem corrected, you can. So there is a little bit of a different mindset there. We also, race cars are extremely complicated and you know, very technical units that have to achieve the utmost performance in a certain set of circumstances. So that is a challenge. But then on the flip side in production, the vehicle that you drive has to work when it's snowing and negative 20 degrees outside all the way to, you know, you're down in Arizona and it's 140. And it, it maybe it's towing something at that point, depending on what it is. Plus, we have to meet all the government regulations that have to do with safety and emissions and all of that stuff and, and the bits that are involved there. So they're almost – I, I don't know if you could say they're equally complicated, but they definitely are, are both extremely complicated systems. And I think the best thing, too, with the production car that makes me laugh is that we'll sell those to anybody. So unlike in the racing application where you know you've got a race car driver that knows what they're doing or will be trained to know what they're doing, in production, a 16-year-old that's just got their license all the way up to a 105-year-old that is still on the road for some reason you know, will be driving these cars. And so you have to be ready for it to accept and, and adapt to anything. So I think the challenges are very similar, but you, know, you have timelines are a little bit different. And then from racing versus production, on the production side, we work with a lot of suppliers, but a lot of the people that you interface with are other GM employees, which is a little bit different than on the racing side where I'm typically the only GM employee or it's me. And then we have all the, um, the people that take care of the Corvette race engines. They're all GM employees, but you know, otherwise we've got the teams, Pratt and Miller's out there. Uh, we have chassis and engine suppliers, Delara and ECR on the Cadillac side. So you're, it's always a discussion around companies and protecting companies' interests. So you have to approach things a little bit more politically than you do when you're calling up, you know, your next door neighbor at GM that sits a couple cubes down to try and work through a problem and you're working for the same company. So it's, it's a little bit of a different mindset, but genuinely it's the same idea and, and the design process is the same. It just happens at a more accelerated rate on the racing side. One thing I know you take pride in as you should and it's a common trait I see among the finest women working in motor racing is that great pride of being excellent at your job and in motor racing, which today at least we still have to speak of it as a smaller number and percentage than we want. Can only hope that is going to change in the right and correct direction as the years go forward. Can you Give us some insight, Laura, of the position you have and the proactive mindset you have of not only trying to kick everyone's behind in how you do your job and facilitating that with the programs that you look after and butt kicking there too, but you're also a pretty big proponent of, hey, ladies, come on, 
let let's go do this let's go show that we're just as good if not better than anyone else in this space where uh, we're trying to be more and more represented yeah i i love when i get the opportunity to speak to younger women at the Detroit Grand Prix every year, they usually bring through a group of women or younger women that are, I believe are high school age to show them the racing community and they'll bring over, you know, women to talk to them. And I always volunteer to do that because I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to have those young ladies see other women in the roles and ask them questions that they may or may not be afraid to ask you know, a, a male colleague of mine, just because of different experiences and all of that. Uh, I think that things are definitely progressing in a positive way. You're seeing women getting involved in areas that they never really were in the past or starting to break through more than just one or two at a time. And I think that it's been a positive acceptance across the board too. Thankfully, on my side, I can't give you a strong example of any time where I felt like someone was mistreating me because I was a woman. I can give you plenty of examples of when people were mad at me, but they had a right to be because we were having a disagreement or something wasn't going their way. But it wasn't because I was a woman. It was because of the situation. And I'd like to think that and hope that other women as they enter into the racing industry get that experience. Uh, I know it's not going to be the same for everybody. And part of it is, is I'm representing General Motors, which is phenomenal for a place to work when it comes to equality and inclusion. In fact, inclusion is one of their biggest pillars right now and making sure that everyone feels like they have a, they belong there and they have a, the ability to grow their careers and they've done a great job. I think that, you know, I'd like to see the big companies are going to tackle it first and then it'll start to trickle down to the rest. And even in the paddock, you see there's more female faces in the paddock today than there were when I started in the IMSA paddock in 2017. So hopefully we're all moving in the right direction and, and we can just keep heading there. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Last couple of things, Laura. So you have, as you mentioned, been overseeing Cadillac's DPI program since 2017. Another thing, I don't know if you've heard, you've done okay there. Uh, oh, whether it's championships, <laughs> just seemingly owning the Rolex 24 at Daytona, all manner of crazy big victories, championships, etc. That has been, I would say, a real pillar of achievement for you, of which General Motors said, great. So it's one of those things where you go, well, uh, thanks for doing an, an excellent job there. Now we're going to add to it. Um, you now have this newly created role of the brand's overall sports car racing program manager. That includes a great callback to where you got your start with GM now overseeing Corvette with the Corvette racing program too. Not something anyone would look at and say, Oh, it's going to be easy. No pressure. Good Lord. There is an army of yellow of Corvette racing fans. Unlike almost anything else in motor racing, share with us this, the meaning behind this promotion, but also what we would have to assume is a, a grasp of, wow, if you want to talk about spotlights, uh, I sure as heck am in it full-time now. Yeah, I, I, I've always, since I left Corvette with my very first job and went on to work on the other platforms, I wanted to go back. Corvette has my heart. Uh, it always will. In fact, I'm a Corvette owner. I have a C6 Grand Sport that I love. My husband and I take that onto the track and we try to 
drive it. He gets a little more out of it than I do, but I'm working on it. I'm going to get there. Um, and you know, so I'd say from that standpoint, I, I, I'm, I'm an enthusiast and a fan myself. In fact, the Corvette team has welcomed me to come back to some of their big events that they support, like the Corvettes at Car Isle and the NCM birthday bash. I've done the ladies garage at birthday bash with Corvette. It's been, I guess, I guess it's been since 2009, 2010, somewhere in there, we started doing that and they would have me come back and present even in my different, different roles. They said, you know, it's good to have the representation there and it's nice. It was nice for me to keep connected with the group that way. So I'd like to hope that many Corvette fans might even recognize me from some of those events that I've been doing, uh, even not as a, a direct Corvette production employee. But the the thing with moving into Corvette was I wasn't going to let Cadillac go because I'm so proud of everything we've achieved as a group over there between the teams working with the Lara ECR engines. I mean, the program has been great, and, and a lot of it is because of how well integrated we are and how well we work together as a team across everyone. So I think that with that mindset, bringing all of the sports car programs together, my goal is to figure out how can we all prop each other up? How can we support each other? What shared learnings can make everyone better? I mean, clearly it's a little different. Corvette's a factory program. You know, it's just the Pratt & Miller team that campaigns the car for us, and we're very closely connected with all of that. But there's definitely lessons that they're, you know, doing that could help the Cadillac program. And there's stuff on the Cadillac side that can help Corvette. And my goal is to keep those doors open, keep that conversation flowing, and get it to the point that GM as a whole has that strong racing program so that we can all be successful. And the best thing about what we have today is we can win it in both classes. It's not like Cadillac competes against Corvette. They're in their own separate classes. So by helping each other, it's just making everybody better. You don't have to take anything away from somebody else. Laura, so happy for you. So well-deserved. And I know that you have very, very loyal fans of both brands competing in the WeatherTech championship that are hoping that more championships are coming here in the very near future for you. Me too. I, our, our head is down. We are focused. The teams are across, I'm across the street from them right now talking to you, but they're over in the paddocks doing their engine swaps, getting the cars checked over, looking for anything wrong with the car after this weekend and making sure that it's solid. And I know that they are going to give by far their best effort. They're going to be focused and we all want to be in victory circle by the end of the race next weekend. <laughs> Hopefully enjoyed getting to know Laura a little bit, and I hope we can do more with her in the future, knowing that she has some big decisions, big programs to oversee and outline. A lot of stuff coming, both in IMSA's biggest prototype class, hopefully in GT racing. Uh, boy, a lot of stuff going on, and I know her name's going to be attached to a lot of that. So if you haven't checked out our show before, you might visit marshallpruittpodcast.com. More than a 1,000 episodes of nonsense blame me for it but hopefully if you have an interest you might check that out see what you can find that piques your interest and also if you want to subscribe well we have a little subscribe page there that you just might browse all right well thanks again for listening do appreciate you certainly appreciate laura and gm and corvette racing and ryan smith who helped put everything together for us here in this little show brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com